welcome back to another episode of the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. For new listeners to this program, it is a space that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness to help y'all optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's episode is with my friend, Mr. Michael Trainer. In this conversation, we get into things like the value of rites of passage for young humans or adults for that matter. We get into a lot about relationship building and community building and the exact how-tos of how we can be more effective with that process. Uh, And also a big thing was about stress being held or stored in the body and practices for us to unwind that stuff and move it out. Uh, Michael Trainer is a pretty rad human being. He was one of the co-founders of the Global Citizen, which is a fundraiser in New York that they raised something like one, I think I think it might be $1.3 billion. He mentions it in the conversation. Um, so huge and features all sorts of people ranging from Jay-Z to Beyonce and uh, really, really big deal. And he spent a good chunk of his life traveling and uh, learning from various different indigenous cultures around the world. And he is a fascinating character. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. Um, thank you so much for jumping onto the website, alignpodcast.com, to get started with the five-day movement challenge. If you have interest in moving better, if you have interest in your joints not being achy or stiff or rigid, uh, or you're feeling stronger, more confident in your body, that is a beautiful place to start. So you can just jump onto alignpodcast.com, start the five-day movement challenge, and get yourself going. Uh, eventually that will lead into uh, the free trial of the Align Method online program, which goes deeper into teaching you self-care practices, functional movement that you can integrate into your daily life and um, get you back in that body of yours. So you're not waking up feeling groggy, feeling stiff, feeling rigid, uh, feeling low energy, uh, forward head posture, roll forward shoulders, all that stuff is not necessary and has a deeper physiological and emotional impact. And we get into that and start a free seven day trial. I so greatly appreciate you guys' reviews on iTunes and so greatly appreciate you guys grabbing the Align Method book. Uh, People have been loving that. It's been a number one Amazon bestseller since its release, which is great. And uh, yeah, just so greatly appreciate y'all. Here we go. Back to the conversation with the good Michael Trainer. Yeah, I wanted to today, um, some things that I was excited about discussing. Uh, what is the name of your upcoming book, which isn't going to be out for a while, or the concept of the book at least? The concept of the book is around ancient technologies for modern times. So we live you know, in the 21st century. Uh, Terrence McKenna said, the world has changed more since 1992 than it did in the previous thousand years. And whether that's accurate or not, I think it goes to the fact that you know, technology has radically altered all of our lives. You know, I mean, the, the internet, social media, the degree to which we are in some ways becoming merged with technology. Um, and so I'm really looking at the ancient technologies, the things that are ancient, but as, but as, as urgent, I would say today as, um, as ever. Hmm. So is there any consistencies of those ancient technologies that are still like right underneath our nose now? Yeah. I mean, I think Especially in our world, I mean, I mean, you, I think, uh, exemplify this, right? You're, you use consistently to get into state heat and cold. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely. Now, granted, freezers and saunas are are modern technology, but the use of cold and heat 
is is an ancient technology mm-hmm. and using that to get into states meditation obviously has been having a a, a pretty strong resurgence but uh, another um ancient technology breath work obviously we're seeing now with wim hof and laird hamilton you know that's that's based off tumo breathing which is an ancient tibetan practice mm. you know monks would be able to go off into tibet and sit in the you know in the snow-capped mountains uh with just you know their 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 robes uh through tumo breathing so he's like a wet blanket they're like dry the blanket <laughs> you did, hear that? i've heard i've heard that i've not i've never witnessed it but i have heard that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly i wonder i feel like our it feel like so thinking of something like ancient technology. I feel like for so many people, it, it can feel like daunting and far out. And I need to go to India or Nepal or something like that and hang out with a monk or find a guru. And I feel like so many of these technologies really are like you have them with you right now. Hundred percent. It's just a matter of actually, you know, maybe get putting down the various different ways that we reach out for healing. Yes. And start giving ourselves enough bandwidth to start to to look inside. Hundred percent. I'm. You, 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 and we, you and I have discussed this, so I know you know this. But I mean, I think the main thing is people are their own healers. I yeah. think we need to stop this sort of fallacy that everything exists outside of us, right? Yeah. Like it's we we have we have the means to take care of what we need to take care of within ourselves, and and you can look anywhere, as you talk about, for example, in your book, for the things that can be utilized to accentuate and 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 facilitate greater health and well-being. Yeah. Uh, you know, any outdoor environment. You know, I mean, it's like I think it was a conversation with Ben Greenfield on the podcast. I remember I was like, oh yeah, okay. We, when we went into like the deepest of like nootropics and like all the things, technologies, devices, and I was like, right. But if you were distilled down to one thing that someone yeah. could do. And he was like, nature. And I was like, exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Another thing that I find interesting is a lack of purgative practices mm. in modern culture, which I think is a big thing. You know, we, like we fill up our suitcase with all the various different stressors of the day, mm. but then we don't really have, we're never, from my experience, I haven't been overly educated on ways to, to empty the, the briefcase at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I've, so I've kind of stumbled upon my own things, you know, I write them about in the blog or do the podcast about it or whatever. Um, but I think there's like a sincere deficit of that education in our modern world. Yes. You know, so we're, I wonder, why do you even think that we stepped away from that in the first place? Well, I mean, I think there's a question beneath that question. So I, t- I resonate with that. I, I do think there's so many ways in which we're always taught to fill the cup, right? To add more, totally. the moreness in life, right? Like, and oftentimes we don't recognize that it's actually in part about paring it down. You know, there's that Prieto principle of 80-20 and it's like, we're all, we're often looking at the hundred, but not the 20 that gives us the 80% of results. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I do look at certain things like, and just to be very tactical, but like sauna, for example, at the end of the day for me is a way of literally releasing toxins, but also releasing my thoughts, you know, and like yeah. letting go of the day. And I do think there are practices that people can do. But I think to your actual question, I think beneath it, we've gotten away from so much that was so central to our being human, you yeah. know? I mean, and you talk about that in a movement context, you know? Think about, like, the fact that most people are sitting on a chair for... I mean, it's actually really wild. This one thing that I'm actually going to talk about in the book. But if you actually break down the amount of time, right? Time is our most valuable resource. Yeah. And we all, no matter who you are, billionaire... Uh, someone who, you know, n- no matter where you are, you, we all have this, you know, this limited resource of time, which is, which is precious. 
And if you actually break down the amount of time we spend, for example, on modern technology, it's insane. Yeah. Like the average person spends like four years of their life on email. Yeah. You know, um, years of their life on social media. I mean, now we get a sense of that because you can actually look at, sc at screen time and see how much time you've been spending. But if you actually accumulate it over the years, you're spending, you know, this limited precious resource on these technologies. Now, if that's you know, to a degree, we need to do that. But I think to what degree is that enhancing our life? And yeah. to what degree is that a detriment to our life? And I think to your question about like what's 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 sort of beneath it i think we've been sold a narrative you know most of our systems for example are based on 20th century industrial capitalism our education system you know we go from first grade to second grade to third grade and it's, yeah. it's largely training people to be ostensibly a cog in a, in a greater wheel where there's a manager and you're obedient and at the end of the at the end of 30 years, you get the gold watch. Now, obviously, that paradigm is broken, right? Most people, especially young people today, there's you know there's this absolute epidemic of loneliness, yeah. which is uh, you know coming from the sense of false connection that we're seeing, uh, you know, as exemplified in many ways by social media. We're eating the menu instead of the meal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so people are it, talk about FOMO. People are are exactly looking at everyone's highlight reels and, and thinking, why, why, you know, how come I don't have that, you know? And um, and so I think. What, where, when I look at ancient technologies, I'm thinking about the ways in which we utilize and built community and the structures and systems which kind of kept an even keel. You know, where I lived, I lived for, with the traditional healer, an Ayurved, who, who practiced a, a very rare form of um, Ayurvedic shamanism. And, and in that concept, there was no word for privacy and there's no word for possession. Mm. So you and I existed as a whole. And if you fell out of balance, which is what the notion of dis-ease is, right? Uh, and you'll get this because you're all about bringing you know, things back into balance. Well, in a, communal, in a community sense, not just in the sense of the body, but the body is a, is a microcosm of the, of the macrocosm, which is also the community body. Yeah. And when the community falls out of balance, it's the role, it was his role to bring it back into balance. So he would do all these, ex the, these I mean, what we would consider a master artist, he was a master artist of like 17 different things, you know, dance, a master dancer, knew like four different drums, spoke like six languages, you know, astrologer, Ayurvedic physician, I mean, like insane, hmm. but not, none of that was ego. He didn't, you know, none of that was like something he put on a resume. It was just each of those was an integral tool to be able to facilitate the context of conversation where ritually from sunset to sunrise he would ritually recreate their shared cosmological worldview their shared story in such a way that it would bring them back into tune you know kind of like i can imagine like a really good bodywork session can do in the context of the physical body he would do it in the context of the physical and emotional body of the collective yeah. through this ritual. And so for me, I think part of what we're, what we're lacking is because we've grown up in a culture that is based on, and I'm not making this wrong, by the way, I love, I love where we live. I love, you know, I love where we grew up. Um, but it is based in some ways on this notion of sort of city on the hill. You know, we are, you know, we are individuals, exalt your individuality, you know, be all you can be. And oftentimes at the expense of anyone else, you know, like the narrative prevailing narrative is around competition rather than cooperation. There's now really interesting research around cooperation actually being primary. Yeah. Um, but I just think that there's, there's, there's a huge, 
huge narrative which we're, we're, we're kind of brought up in, some of which is amazing, you know, like I love when individuals thrive, um, and some of which is costly. And, and I think it comes at the cost of some of the ancient wisdom that we knew about or that our ancestors knew about that we've kind of conveniently either forgotten about or, or, or actually intentionally has been repressed because it doesn't fall in line with the prevailing narrative that actually helps, you know, people be consumers and exist in a society and structure that, that we see in the modern world uh, yeah. around us. I was listening to a thing recently. It was like a Netflix documentary about death, and it was with uh, – What's the guy? Morgan Freeman? The guy yeah. plays God. Yeah. God, essentially. The best as voice as, on yeah, the planet. As far as, <laughs> as far as God. Um, and he was doing an interview with a guy that he was dead for like 13 minutes and he was fell out of some boat and he was underwater and held down and then he came out yeah. and somehow got revived. And uh, during his experience, he was like, he said it was this really tranquil, beautiful experience. He looked up and they were in this cathedral during the conversation. It was like, it was kind of like these paintings in the cathedral, but it was these thousands of beautiful lights coming down. And what he said was he felt, uh, which this resonated me from um, specifically around DMT ceremonies. He mm -hmm. said he, he felt uh, a type of love and, and rapture and connection unlike any relationship that he'd ever experienced in his in his you know corporeal human form yes so he leaves that body for that instant and he's like oh okay like like this is love like yes. i never knew love before yes you know and I, I think it's an interesting one just a fear of death is a very fascinating thing which i think is like deeply infused in our culture yeah um but two that that cooperation and that connection and all that the health that exists in that group team mentality. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very fascinating how when we, we get so much more from giving to others than we do from selfishly like pulling in, yeah. which is kind of, we've been like duped in a way to thinking that it needs to go autonomous me, me, me. And tribally you would actually be exiled, which is, which right. is actually in which many ways worth, worse than death. Right. Because if you do exist in that collective, if, if you were all about me, 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 right, it comes at the cost of the collective, right? So right. if you go off on a hunting expedition, Chris Ryan, who I know you've had on your show, and I talked about this, we had a, uh, uh, but basically tribally, you know, a hunter would go out and say a hunter takes down a bison, you know, and he talks about this a bit in his book, but, you know, the, 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 the guys he's hunting with will actually take the piss out of him. They'll actually give him a hard time, right? Why? Because they don't want him to get too big in his ego to think, oh, okay, that's, that's all about me or that's all my meat, right? And the person that's actually celebrated was actually the guy who made the arrow, which is often an older guy who actually stayed back at the village or yeah. the, you know, in, in the, in the tri you know, sort of tribal community. And what that did was it kept things even, you know, every, of course, in, in taking the piss or giving someone a hard time, there's still a love, but it keeps the ego down. Yeah. And it also keeps away from that hoarding mentality, like, oh, no, this is all mine, not yours, which obviously would have been fatal in a, in a, in a traditional sort of pastoral tribal culture. So I think that idea of, of you know, keeping those, those, those common bounds is so powerful. And I think the second thing I want to just touch on is you mentioned the, the, that, that, that near-death experience. I think one of the things that's so fascinating is that idea of using death as an impetus for living, right? Like the yeah. memento mori sort of stoic um, context, which also like when a, a gladiator was successful, they would actually have traditionally like a slave behind them. And after a, like a great general or whatnot would win a war, they'd actually have the person behind them as they're being heralded in their chariot and, and crowds are cheering for their victory 
Mercury basically whispering in their ear perpetually, memento mori, memento mori. Like, wow. like, don't get up on yourself, man. Death is on your door, you know? So, like, there were all these ways in which these ancient cultures would, like, keep, you know, keep someone's ego in check, mm. and we do not have that. Um, however, with the exception of some of these tools, like, for example, in, in Very Real, right, what they say, actually, on, in, uh, on your deathbed, that's when you're born and when you die, that's actually when you release the natural DMT in your system, right, which uh, they say is, is stored in your pineal gland. But basically, as you mentioned, you can actually approximate that. And, you know, I'm always careful to say, I think, for, for people who are interested in those journeys, at least for me, I have a huge bias towards sitting with indigenous cultures who have hold, held those traditions for yeah. thousands of years. But, um, but yeah, I, th I think that's another ancient technology, right? Is is when held correctly, and I think there's a lot of ways where it's not being held. What I would call correctly, you know, some, you know, <laughs> we're in Venice, California right now, but like, you know, some guy in Venice goes down to Peru for two weeks and all of, all of a sudden comes back and calls himself a quote unquote shaman. Yeah. That to me is not correctly, right? Because they, they don't, they're not held or haven't trained effectively. Like I wouldn't go to a doctor that read, you know, a for book in the library. <laughs> exactly, for, for it was like <laughs> exactly it is. <laughs> like okay yeah now I'm not a do I'm now a doctor right. um, but in the context of where and I've you know I've had the good fortune of sitting with some of those very very and I say profound and you and I chatted I've chatted about this before but profound but also humble but masterful um, elders and the degree to which I think those kinds of ceremonial contexts can also be a great reminder of exactly what you shared which is that love that's innate within all of us yeah it's always there it's always there yeah. Yeah, it's like the like Anthony Andrew Taylor Still, founder of Ostep, they said harmony dwells where obstruction does not exist. Yes. And there's like the Rumi quotes like the same thing essentially, you know, like your task isn't to seek love, it's to seek out the the boundaries that you've created and exactly. drop those guys. Exactly. I question this is a question I had for for um, somebody yesterday actually. I was recently was pondering on I wonder if it's possible to dislike someone if your egos, both of your egos are out of the way. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like I think typically when there's conflict, there's like, okay, this identity structure, ego structure that I define as like, this is right and wrong and this is who I am and who I, th my, like my somebodyness yeah. somehow runs into your somebodyness yeah. and they kind of tangle and like, ugh, repel. But I think with almost any of those situations, by almost, I mean all of those situations uh, of humanity or, or animal or any, any being, I think if you're both in that, say, like a near-death experience together, and all of a sudden, okay, my life is in your hands and your life is in my hands, mm -hmm. we will likely drop all of those ego structures because there's no time for that right now, and there will just be love, companionship, you know, and, and kind of like unity. Yes. Whereas in a well-resourced culture, such as like Western culture, we have all this time and space and stuff to kind of get in the way of that, and then we get consumed by those, and it kind of like pulls us apart. But I think underneath it's all just a bunch of love. Yeah, 100%, <laughs> man. I mean, not to get uh, – I, I think it is. Honestly, I do think it is all love. And, and I think the path that we're all on is is finding our way back to it, you know? Right. Uh, I feel like and, – and unfortunately, like, 
I think many of us, including myself, you know, have gone about it the wrong way and, and, and looked to approximate love, you know. Yeah. We, we have this misnomer, I think, culturally, which is like, which is definitely, you know, perpetuated by society, which is the sort of, you know, have, do, be, right? Where it's like, if only I, if I have this, if I have the girl or if I have the car, then I'll be able to do amazing things and then I'll be happy, right? Where it's yeah. like, it's totally the opposite, you know? It's like, it's who are being, who we're being, right? It's who, who we are and how we're showing up in the world and ideally if that's showing up in a loving way um, that brings in all the things that, that that are attracted to us you know that, that that also empowers us to go off and seek that which is most aligned to who we truly are right it's like it's our beingness that is source not our havingness and I think unfortunately a lot of what keeps us from love or has kept me from love for example um, in the past and probably in certain ways right now is this notion of oh if only or when I, you know, like when I have this, I mean, I, I definitely remember a period in my life where I was, I felt stuck and I had moved out to be with my, the, my person, my love, and it didn't work out. And I had, but I had moved our 40 foot container with the, both our apartments across the country. And I was like, you know, my stubborn self was like, all right, well, let's just, just keep, let's just keep going. You know, like, I'm not yeah. going to go back with my tail between my legs. Was that like the sunk cost hypothesis? Exactly. Cost You're like, yeah. Container's it's, too big. I moved this bitch. You will love me. Exactly. <laughs> Lovely. Exactly. And to be <laughs> trapped by your stuff, which many of us are, frankly, oh, was gosh. an abs it was so ridiculous, you know? It was so ridiculous. It was like <laughs> why, I, why? Uh, and ultimately I sort of moved beyond it. I, I I released it and let it go, but it took me a minute to figure that out. Yeah. It feels like every time we separate from like the the B part, um it feels almost like there's like a separation from ourselves in a sense. Yeah. And there's all these different opportunities to kind of almost, I think of it as almost like a, like a pair of spectacles or glasses, like the image gets blurry. Yep. And there's like your B, which is perfect 2020 vision. Yeah. There's a, you're just this clear vessel. And then there's that distraction and the material thing. And the, I wish I had that. And that person's this and this and that. And all those causes the, the glass to kind of, yeah. kind of wobble a little bit. And then it's like, oh man, the world seems seems blurry and then i i wonder if perhaps there's some correlate to sickness from that you know if you can get out of the way of those blurry spectacles perhaps the the body's like ready to heal yeah you know what i'm saying yeah i think there is a corollary because i think you know i uh, for to my i mean this is my own view but i i think our health is around uh, is is dramatically linked using your very word to alignment yeah right like it's it's when we're aligned not only that i think we feel the great vibrancy of true health which which is beyond obviously just the biological mechanics although that obviously integral um to a sense of like overall well-being and to me that's what when we are in that state of being when we're not in the glasses if you will heavy foggy glasses of ego i think the degree to which also a lot of our innate intelligence you know like our intuition that's one of the things for example i've committed to because i you know you, you and i both i think I often can get in my head, you yeah. know, in my intellect. Totally. And while it can be a sharp knife, it can also be a knife that cuts me. <laughs> and one of the things I realize is there's profound intelligence in the heart and mm. in the gut, right? We call it, I mean, you just had Perlmutter on, you know? I mean, it's literally our enteric nervous system, our second brain. Yeah. And there's, there's 
literal and biological, you know, uh, intelligence in that gut, profound intelligence. And so to me, I'm like, okay, how can I move more aligned, right? Like, how do I move head, yep. heart, gut? The Shashumna. Yeah. Alignment of all the chakras. Exactly. Yep. How can I move in that way? And to me, that is health, right? Like, that is a core tenet of health. It's not something that I think is often talked about as integral to health. But to me, I've also seen... In life, for example, when I've not been aligned, when I've gone more down the foggy glasses, you know, uh, path of like, oh, this, you know, this is seductive, you know, mm -hmm. intellectually, this looks real good, you know, um, and I've had very dramatic reckonings, you know, both health wise uh, and also just in terms of life and like, you know, what do you want to call it? Karma, but like things getting real heavy. And oftentimes that's because I was, I don't want to say walking down the wrong road because I don't think it's necessarily, there's like a wrong, but it was wrong for me. In other yeah. words, it wasn't in alignment with what I have declared my purpose to be. And I think that's the, that's the trick is so oftentimes all of us see the, whatever that is, that's the candy, that, that, that that's that temptation. And, you know, if it's not in alignment, it's super hard, you know, it's, it, it, it's not in alignment. Yeah. But but sometimes I can speak from experience, you know, it's pretty damn tasty. And, yeah. and so you're like, okay, well, I'm going to walk over here and have this candy, whatever that may, whatever that may manifest as or, or, or exemplify for you. And, and then what I've seen is for me getting back has been super humbling, but, but, but is a very beautiful process. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me now, I've actually sacrificed some of the things that are, you know, more lucrative, for example, opportunities. Yeah, I'll give you a very clear example. So I'm not speaking obtusely. I remember uh, years ago, for example, I was offered a very, very lucrative opportunity, right? And it was basically to be an ambassador. I didn't have to do much except go hang out with fun people and take some photographs, etc. And I literally flew to New York and I had a drive. And if I handed over that drive to this client, I would it would cement the relationship and I would be paid a, a not insignificant amount of money. But it was for something that I didn't believe in. Um, and I actually had the drive and I decided to sacrifice that money because it didn't feel aligned and instead i went and volunteered i actually left the money behind volunteered at charity water at the gala that's actually where i met bobby and had i not met bobby i never would have started global citizen which mm. was was four years of my life you know building a, a charitable music festival on the great lawn in central park that existed because i made an aligned action mm. right i made an aligned movement mm. instead of going on the path of like seductive money it was basically uh for a, a snuff company like a snooze like a swedish mm. a swedish uh, tobacco brand oh. and uh and i was like this is a lot of money but i'm not really aligned to uh supporting you and pushing uh tobacco you know it's just not aligned with who i am as a human yeah um which isn't sustainable exactly and, w and, and it would have been soul crushing for me if I had said yes. And at the time, I like I was not like in a financially flush position. So it's like, you know, it, I needed the money. Yeah. But at the same time, in not in choosing not to pursue that money because it was not aligned and then instead pursuing something where I hadn't, there was no personal benefit. I volunteered. Yeah. But yet from that gestated uh, an incredibly aligned and life changing, not just for me, but for many, many others um, platform called Global Citizen. Uh, Can you tell a little bit more about 
uh, what that is and some of like the people that are involved in it and all that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Global Citizen. Um, I started with a couple of other gentlemen in 2011. And really, it was just this idea of how do we build a movement around ending extreme poverty, which at the time was 1.3 billion people living on the planet for under $1.25 or its equivalent a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, gratefully, now it's been reduced. Uh, but but how could we build a movement around that and do it such that it was built in hope and inspiration rather than guilt and shame? Because the prevailing narrative is what I call like poverty porn. It's that like Sally Struthers, <laughs> yep. like, hey, Aaron, give up your cup of coffee and help this like poor child with flies flying around. And it's like, yep. I think that's a horrible narrative. So we were like, let's not ask for people's money. Let's ask for their action. Let's ask for their aligned action. Have them learn about the issues affecting the extreme poor because we want to build a movement around our shared humanity. Again, going to this notion of community. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, we've, we have a declaration of independence. I'd love to see a declaration of interdependence because many of the great challenges we're facing now are around, you know, this how we are in, in, inherently a whole, right? Like climate change, et cetera. But anyway, staying on path the with Global Citizen, we decided that, you know, we wanted to build a movement, hope and inspiration. So said, let's do a music festival. But instead of charging for tickets, let's make it so that people earn their tickets based on taking these aligned actions. Mm -hmm. And to make a very long story short, I'm happy to go into detail if you want, but uh, we wound up, it was insane for those listening, you know, to declare a huge goal. We didn't have money we didn't have like we had very little money we it was a few of us but we had this huge vision and we declared it and we committed to it and there were moments where it was like it looked almost impossible i mean there's a moment literally we had a million dollars in business it's a nonprofit, but it but basically in our business model fall away and we had to secure a headliner um or the whole thing was gone i mean and so that you talk about moments of pressure but yet when you're when you're in that level of aligned commitment to yourself it's like we just rose up and, and we, and every obstacle became, you know, an opportunity to, to, to deepen that commitment. And so nine months after we declared the vision, we hosted the first festival on the great lawn in central park, uh, which was only the second Saturday since Simon and Garfunkel in 1980. I think it was 81. Uh, don't quote me on that, but in the eighties and Beatles had never played there. Stones had never played there. And we had John Legend sing Imagine on the Great Lawn mm-hmm. with Neil Young, the Black Keys, the Foo Fighters. And we raised uh, $1.3 billion in commitments for programs serving the world's poor. Crazy. Yeah. And it's continued on. I, I was there through uh, the first uh, three, four years. And then, unfortunately, my dad got diagnosed with dementia. But we had just secured a, a very significant grant, uh, grant from the Gates Foundation. So it's in good stead. But I just went back, uh, held one for Nelson Mandela's 100th birthday. You know, we've had everyone from Jay-Z, Beyonce, Pharrell, Coldplay, you name it. Um, many of the you know most epic musicians on the planet have aligned themselves. And now millions and millions of people have taken actions and we've been able to raise, you know, it's billions and billions of dollars um, and working now with the UN around the sustainable development goals. So really that notion of like, how do we see our globe as a global community and, yeah. and, and you as not just a U.S. citizen, but as a, as a global citizen. Wanted to take a quick moment and thank our sponsor, Organifi, for supporting this podcast. Organifi is an excellent company that I've been supporting for a long time, uh, and they make some of the highest quality supplements that you will possibly find, ranging from protein powders to endurance blends to pre-workout stuff, and uh, everything is as legit as it can be. Uh, It's USDA organic, it's gluten-free, it's soy-free, it's dairy-free, vegan, all things. I'm holding my hands right now, the acai 
cordyceps infused red juice, a gently dried superfood powder that I will use uh, during workout, post-workout. I'll throw it into my water and it's got all the good antioxidant stuff inside there. So it's got uh, pomegranate juice, uh, cranberry juice, blueberry juice, um, strawberry powder, all sorts of good stuff. And then it has uh, a, the endurance blend which includes uh, red beet powder, so good for nitric oxide production, good for circulation, uh, cordyceps, good for energy, uh, reishi mushroom, it's got all the good stuff. So you can get yourself 15% off of this or whatever the heck you want from uh, Organifi by going to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and then use Align at checkout, and you will get 15% off of your purchase. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation. And I hope you devour this Organifi red juice, the side cordyceps infused goodness. Uh, here we go, back to the conversation with the good Michael Trainer. Oh. I wonder for people listening, uh, how do and myself and anybody, but how does a person go from where you were at before Global Citizen to being? What, what were you doing? Before that, and then the question is, how do you, how does one go about reaching out to a Jay Z and a Beyonce and a John Legend and all these people and mm. getting them on board for this thing? Because I'm sure there's a lot of, that's not just something that you like wake up and shoot an email and like, <laughs> yeah. cool, sweet, we nailed it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> we no, that definitely doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah just the quick, the right. quick cold email probably won't work. Yeah. But um, unless you're a very persuasive yeah, writer. Uh, but no, so for me, what I was doing right before that, I, uh, so when I mentioned to you, I was, uh, before had broken up with that partner, I wound up actually moving back to New York. So I had moved to the Bay area, to Oakland, California, and then moved back to New York and I was doing uh, graduate work. So because of my time with that healer in Sri Lanka, I learned a very rare esoteric language called Singhala, uh, not rare in Sri Lanka, but rare in the U S and. And I found, and this was wild, I just did research, and I found a grant where if you study, the government would pay you to go to grad school if you studied another rare esoteric language in terms of U.S. citizens being able to speak it. Frankly, I thought it was like a CIA feeder because I was like, why would the government pay me to learn a language? But I was like, okay. So I went to uh, uh, to Colombia to learn Tamil, which is another the other language spoken in Sri Lanka. So when I lived there, it was actually a country amidst civil war. Um, and so um, the, the Sinhalese and the Tamil uh, coexisted. And I actually, story for another day, but actually wound up behind enemy lines when the ceasefire was declared over. So it was a very, very powerful experience in my life. But to actually answer your question, um, I went to grad school. I was fortunate enough to do the two years in one year because I was a term my grant and I was determined to get it done. And so I decided to volunteer for a year. Uh, and, and give that as a gift. Like just say, I would have been in, in school. I was very fortunate to not have to go into debt um, because I spent years waiting to find this grant. So let me give my energy. And so I traveled around the world. I volunteered with Wangari Mathai, the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize, and saw how women were empowered through reforestation across Kenya. I went to Cambodia with uh, an amazing team that was actually taking landmines out and like going into villages and kids would find, unfortunately, like cluster uh, bombs that look like tennis balls that were left over from the Vietnam War. So we'd like go out on trucks and like they'd find these mines and take them out of the ground. Um, so I would just I just volunteered. I mean, Ho Chi Minh Trail to Kenya, all, all over the world. What was your intention of doing that? 
uh, to provide to provide media and uh, strategy and and any way I could support to organizations I believed in, and the intention for me was to uh, to be of service. I think you know I honestly. Having lived abroad, you know, many countries have compulsory service, either military or civil service. Uh, we don't have that. I actually think it would be, you know, I, I think it's just wonderful to spend a period of your life, especially a formative period in your young life, uh, being of service. <laughs> and so for me, it was just a self-imposed, like, let me give back. And interestingly enough, having had that exposure, it led me to being super aligned when we decided to do Global Citizen. And to answer the second part of your question, um, I think for those listening, the main thing is really being, one, super clear in what you're up to, two, being unequivocally committed to it. You know, I mean, like there's that, I, I can't remember where, where it was, where there was a general and they, you know, the saying is burn the ships behind you, you yeah, know, right. but like they came in and, you know, and they, and they were dramatically outnumbered, but they basically like burned the ships. So there was no other option but going forward. We burned the ships. And so I think the second is commitment. The third is, uh, is I would say, alignment. And alignment in that case, you know, early days, we were very fortunate to get um, an al- aligned ambassador in Hugh Jackman. Mm. And he was, he believed in the cause. Uh, he's a he's a he's actually real talk a legitimately amazing man. Like, how do you find Hugh Jackman in the first place? Is that just somebody? Hugh was Jackman just... had met Hugh Evans okay. um, in Australia. Thought he was the waiter. <laughs> he's the he's who I launched the uh, uh, GC with another gentleman named Ryan. Um, and but but they wound up becoming friends, so they were friendly. Yeah. So in the early days, having that early kind of early stage friendship, um, you know, helped out. But, I, but there were times definitely where I was, like, nervous. We were, like, overextending. So I think finding – if I were to distill that down, finding someone that's aligned to your, your shared vision yeah. and I think cultivating those relationships um, makes a huge difference. You know, he, he would host – you know, he hosted a, a very powerful dinner for us, for example, early days at his home. Um, you know, it makes a big difference, obviously, when someone who's aligned to your cause invites other people and really takes a stand for you. And then I think the other piece is, you know, when you have something that you're fighting for that's bigger than yourself, it makes a huge difference in other people saying yes. Right. And and I will also say, and this is another kind of piece, align altruistic interest with strategic self-interest, right? And this is tactical. But one of the things that made Global Citizen work was we had a huge cause that we were up to, right? Uh, and that was we wanted to end extreme poverty on the planet by 2030, which is feasible. Now, people are aligned to that, but, it w- but a lot of people, for example, a lot of t- people are up to amazing things, but they won't get backing because, one, they don't have credibility, or two, they haven't gotten enough, um, what I would say, momentum, you know, to really get that going. I get reached out to all the time from amazing causes that are looking for me to like all of a sudden make a magic intro to like, you know, like Alicia Keys, I mean, literally this week, Alicia Keys, or can you, you know, and it's like, um, yes, we've hosted those people, but that also was like a conversation that was around, wait, what are their interests? You know, like speaking to their interests first, like Alicia has, you know, an incredibly aligned charity. So could, how can I support her charity? You know, um, 
you know, John Legend I saw while I was at Columbia speaking with Jeffrey Sachs, he's, who, who was also an advisor for us. Like, so, so basically, like, finding the people that are aligned to your vision first. Uh, because, you know, for example, if I had said, like, oh, yeah, Post Malone, for example, probably would attract a lot of people to a concert. But those aren't people that are aligned to what we're up to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he probably wouldn't say yes in the first place. Except for the fact that, and then the, here's where it goes. So, so aligned uh, interest and altruistic interest, then the self-interest piece comes in, right? So part of our strategy in hosting on the Great Lawn in Central Park was no other artists had performed there. You're talking about one of the, I mean, of course they had, but it had been, you know, a long, long time. And when you say, hey, you know, Foo Fighters or Neil Young, would you like to play on the Great Lawn in Central Park? It's mm. different from saying, you know, would you like to play at like the Beacon Theater? Right. No disrespect to the Beacon, it's just to say, this is an iconic venue, right? Right. Other people, uh, it's a very rare opportunity. Uh, it also is a statement, I would say. And then, frankly, we hustled our tushes off and got one of the largest, if not the largest, syndicated broadcasts of its kind. So we got the New York Times to cover homepage, AOL, Yahoo. How did you do that? Was it a PR company? Was PR to- and, and also alignment. So getting really great advisors. We had, a really, uh, we had several wonderful advisors that were aligned to us that had relationships. And it's not often that they would do that. Um, but, you know, one of the uh, co-founders with Robert De Niro, Jane, of the Tribeca Film Festival, she helped us. When we didn't, when we just had an idea, like, we were not a proven concept. And I, I, so much credit to her. Like, she literally, like, take my call at, like, 10 o'clock on a Saturday night because I'm trying to do, like, the film. I mean, so it's finding those people that are, like, your ride or dies that are, like, about what you're up to. Yeah. And, and then, you know, some of those people, like, pulling in, some, you know, like – you know they're taking a risk trusting in you and taking taking a chance and 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 vouching for you basically mm-hmm. and then and then obviously doing everything in your possible in your you know possible world to make sure that that they don't that they look that they uh that you are at integrity with what you said you're going to do yeah. and that as a result everyone rises you yeah. know um but but in essence you know and also when you get into some of the later artists we had in year 2 year 3 you know, part it's about also then developing that credibility of like, oh, okay, these guys have done it. You know, you're one. It's like there's a there's a famous video on YouTube you can Google where it's like how to build a movement, and it's this great like video narrated video of this guy dancing on a hill at like a concert. You know, and it's just this lone dude dancing. Then all of a sudden, and it's like narrated like in like the British style, but it's like you know, and then there's the first follower. You know, and it's like yep. the first person that comes up and starts dancing with them, and then he's like the first follower is actually most crucial to the building of the movement because they invite like the second two and then all of a sudden it's four people dancing and then once four people dancing it's now socially acceptable so the whole like it's like you know whatever 30 40 people come in and dance and it's kind of like that you know it's like find your first follower strategically uh in a way where it's like who are the people that'll have your back and then getting those essentially those like those core people based off of that you know you, you can't do can't do anything you know by yourself in a vacuum you know so it's like building out those strategic alliances and then combining i think altruistic interest with strategic self-interest so it's like when you have a great cause and you're on the great lawn in central park and you've it's going to be seen by 15 yeah metaphoric and it's going to be seen by you know a great number of people you know you're you're combining i think an alchemy of altruism and self-interest in a way that's that it makes it harder to say no we'll put it like that of course people do say no and can't say no but um and then when you also create 
a context of wins, like you start stacking, you know, successes, it becomes easier to make the ask. And also you've demonstrated the platform. Yeah. I think another thing that's interesting that I've experienced is, um, it's of great value to treat your first follower that comes up on the lawn with you and your second and your third and your fifth and all that, um, treat them as though they're the most valuable yes. being in the world. Yes. You know, and so the when it's I, I think it's very easy for a person that's creating any form of it could be just be like relationships in your community, just to have friends or whatever. Yeah. You know, we're like we're waiting till I have this you know, super friend that I aspire, famous, whoever, this or that, or I'm waiting till I have a million followers on my this or that, you know, whatever it is, like totally treat every dollar that you have and every human that is in your orbit and every material that you have in your orbit as though it's the most precious thing in the world. And then I think the universe opens up to saying, okay, cool. You're ready for more. Yes. You know, and as long as you're in that place of I'm way, okay, I'll step up into my highest self when I'm at this level. Um, you will just never be at that level because the universe in quotations, AKA any, you know, person or what community or whatever would just be like, no, 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 you're not ready. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really crucial thing that I'm only recently starting to learn, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you're, you're spot on, right? Because if you're, for example, you know, make this super, uh, reductive, but like if you're only obsessed with getting whatever, whatever that goal is for you, 10,000 followers on Instagram or a hundred thousand, well, first of all, no amount of followers ever going to make you happy, but let's just say like, you know, and, and then you don't appreciate the one person who just followed you. It's like you're, you're, you're missing the entire point, right? Because every person is so extremely valuable. And if you celebrate that gratitude, it's like, it's just like, I mean, scientifically verified in terms of gratitude and, and it's corollary to happiness, right? Like I spent this morning, first thing I did when I woke up is think about five things, simple things. Like I'm grateful for this bed. I am, you know, like I'm, like I'm grateful for the sunshine. Like I, I literally am. But, but also that that actually starts to lead to more, uh, if you will, abundance in that context. But also you've just framed your mind in that way. And I think to your point, if you frame your mind towards gratitude for that one person, not only does it lead to more, but it's funny is you're not in that place of needing more. Yeah. You're, you're in that place of just, I'm appreciating you. And obviously, many of us know uh, in, in sort of attracting, you know, whether it be a partner or a lover or whatever, you know, if you're in a place of neediness, that doesn't come across as very attractive, you know? Whereas if you're in a place of, no, I'm good with me, you know? And also, thank you, you know? Thank you. But like from a place of confidence for that which you see before you, it's so much more attractive. And I think, you know, like you having, you know, having a podcast and interviewing, you know, some of the most successful people on the planet, you know, and I've seen Super Bowl champions. I've interviewed, I was just having a conversation last time I saw you, this party over the weekend, you know, was, I won't mention his name, but with a Hall of Famer, you know, and not that they're by any means miserable, but all of them, None of them, like, it was like once they achieved the Super Bowl or the Hall of Fame, now they've made it. And they're, yeah. like, eternally happy. deep depression after e- that. Exactly. But, like, astronauts is a very common thing. Or exactly. Like you, sp- you focus your whole time on this one goal, and then you realize it. Or you, f- or, or you fail and you obsess about it. But, like, either way, if your whole identity is codified in that thing, and you're not actually savoring the process and being prepared for a pivot, it's it's it, it's not the holy grail. It's not it's not like there is no like okay whether no matter what that is right like billionaire, Super Bowl, all the things we're told are like the kind of like that all of a sudden you'll have happiness and fulfillment. Uh uh-uh. uh 
Yeah. Do you work. just need to arrive and 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 uh, summit that first proverbial mountain in order to realize that it's not everything, or is there any way to to bypass that and you know go for the second mountain, being like deeper meaning or connection or yeah that stuff without without being duped by the false summit. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it's an amazing question. I think many of us get duped by the false summit, one. And two, even when you do hit the summit, there's a great book using the same analogy yeah. called The Second Mountain. Um, but that's exactly what I was talking to this Hall of Famer about, right? Like, um, what's the second mountain for you? Because I-, I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can appreciate the second mountain without the arduous journey of the first whether that's failure or success yeah i do think that it's actually and none of us want to hear that but you know i think it's actually it is the challenges that make us stronger i mean it's cliche you know but it's like it's the shit that's the spiritual compost you know it's like uh there was actually a mayan shaman that i had worked with and he said that you know pain is the horse that beauty rides and i always love that analogy because it's like yes i mean that that is it, without the challenges you just don't appreciate it right it's like if everything came to you easily yeah um you know siddhartha the buddha the buddha you know the buddha you know was a prince before he became enlightened you know yeah. and he had everything handed to him you know and it wasn't it wasn't uh everything it was cracked up to be and then going out from the palace and seeing old age and death and decay and disease and then coming from that place back and actually being in a place of contemplation and meditation and service, that's, you know, those are some of the fertile aspects of that soil of turning that, you know, into a spiritual compost. I think that, that, that all of us can use as a, as a sort of impetus for living. Yeah. To me, it's like, I think you, you know, and, and by the way, the second mountain ain't the finish line either. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was just doing another... Uh, conversation with with uh, her name's Sean Corn. She's like yeah, a yoga teacher, really great yoga teacher. Yeah, and um, one of the things that she mentioned in there that I thought was cool was that uh, there's everything that you're doing, the breakfast that you ate or didn't eat, the the fight that you got into or didn't get into, the cashier person, the coffee shop, like all of those are opportunities for for lessons, mm-hmm. you know, of something deeper. You, know, you can call it enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, you know. But we're all you know Ram Dass walking each other home kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so like right now as we're having this conversation, we think that we're doing a podcast and we're promoting you or me or collaborating or whatever. You know, but that's like the the really small game. Yeah. You know, and then there's the bigger game that's housing all of that, which yeah. is like, okay, like how are we walking each other home here? Yeah. You know, and it's I and think who's that, listening, and how can we have be, and and the ways that we can ho- hopefully be in some small way of value to to them, you know, and like the ways that they'll, whatever that cat that catalyst is of like our words are like seeds, and they have their own fertile gardens, you know, and it's like what what will they grow, and then how will those seeds germinate elsewhere, right? Like that's yeah. how nature works, right? Yeah. And like we are nature, we just sometimes forget it. Yeah, and then also realizing that sometimes those things, kind of like the conflict of between two people or whatever it may be. Those are actually oftentimes, you know, likely the li- the richest lessons, mm. but they're also the things that we kind of push away. Yeah, and you know, we go back, and then it gets into like, okay, well, I'm I'm attached to this certain sensation, and then I I push away this certain sensation. But as long as I'm in that place, I'm in this yo-yo back and forth of feeling okay, and then yep. bad, and then up okay, and then bad, you know, and then the 
biological effect of all that stuff, I think, is things like adrenal fatigue and things yeah. like, you know, where we have these upregulated cortisol and like all this different stuff. It's like, oh, now there's there's biological ramifications of this spiritual, in quotations, misalignment. Yeah. It just gets really interesting. It does. <laughs> because we, exactly what you said, we spiritually bypass, right? Like we, or, or we biologically bypass, you yeah. know? We're like, we know it's good for us. I'm going to bypass that right now. You know, like, uh, yeah, spot on. You know, I think it's, it's, uh, and, you know, I, I'll raise my hand. I've done yeah. that plenty of times. You yeah, know? I'll probably do it today. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The shot clock is coming down. Exactly. So how does a person, because we're going to wrap this thing up, how does a person start to push away some of the obstructions uh, to listen into their enteric nervous system or, you know, let their heart speak or their guts speak and yeah. get out of the, the, you know, the mind being the, the governor of everything. Yeah, I think it's great. If question. that's even the right direction to go, maybe the mind being the captain's great. I don't know. But I think it's a great question. I mean, to me, it's uh, I would distill it down to finding your center. Everyone has different practices that enable them to come back to center. But yeah. in the same way that I learned from my my teacher some time ago in that context of balance, right? And he he basically articulated that dis-ease is imbalance. It's exactly that, dis-ease. Yeah. And I think whether it's, I mean, yesterday this came up for me. Like I had like a whirlwind of emotion come in that wasn't mine, but it was like, okay, like how do I react to this? And yeah. it was interesting because it was like, I literally, I was like, give me a second. I need like five minutes. And I meditated. And it was like, I just sat with myself and I quieted my mind mm. and I got more into that place of like what is – and I mean I have a daily meditation practice and I have you know for quite some time. But and that's that's something that's available for free to anyone, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go to one of the Goenka Vipassana retreats, literally free or uh, it's donation-based, you know, anywhere around the world. If, if you have one, if one thing you take away from this podcast, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, you can go off and do Vipassana. There's all these – I mean, we live in the golden age of information for better and worse, right? Like you can, you can also fill yourself so much with all this information that you're actually not listening to your own inner voice. Yep. And so I think – I think to me, whatever that is that is able to quiet, bring you that quiet within, that might be swimming, that might be, you know, acro yoga, that might be meditation, it might be a combination, figure out what your, your, uh, your toolbox is, and know that those are your go to tools. Like I know if I start like feeling okay, woo, you know, we all know that feeling where we're like, okay, we're riding the edge. Yeah. Sometimes that's fun, but sometimes it ain't so fun. How do I come back to center? And for me, that that is like, okay, I need to like literally just sit, ground myself, like literally like put my feet, whether it's in the sand because I live on the beach or like here on the floor and just like come back to my breath. Mm. And the breath that I think is available to all of us and this it's so, so profound. I don't think any of us, including myself, really fully realize the spectrum of what the breath can be used for in terms of its its capacity to both still the mind and also, you know, re-regulate, you know, biological functions in very fascinating ways. Um, but if there's one thing I would recommend, it's, you know, find whatever that is that brings you center. Be very conscious of that being the, your go-to yeah. and and. and develop an awareness which for me is through meditation of when you're starting to get off center it's like an anchor exactly and come back to that anchor yeah other thing i want to talk about uh is and this really will be the last thing i think um 
another deficit in Western culture is any sensation of a, a rite of passage, mm. which is a thing that culturally around the, the globe, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, you got to put your hand in the fire ants thing, or you got to go eat psychedelic or out in the woods or go fast for a while or got to go whatever the thing is yep you know gangs have different forms of rites of passages you know like there's so many different levels like oh yeah it's like this consistent human thing yes um that in western culture it's like the closest thing that i ever had to a rite of passage i think was like trying to beer bong 40 <laughs> you know and there's like there's 25 people watching and they're rooting and like i think i'm gonna explode my abdomen and yeah. you know, go to the hospital and like literally die that night yeah and i'm like okay is this am i a man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i have a lot to say about this uh you and i talked about it actually before on my show but i i'm fascinated by rites of passage yeah. and i think you're right like you know like that what happens is if you don't have an authentic process of individuation or what would be called a rite of passage what you do is is people start creating their own you know and so that's why you see what i would call unindividuated masculinity for example like being exemplified in the like beer bong rite of passage or in many ways in the gang rite of passage and i've been jumped like i i've seen the the dark side of that you know by a gang maybe racing motorcycles or something like that like seeking out yes seeking you seek seeking it out and i think that is i mean this is this is loaded but i think in traditional societies, right, there existed a mechanism whereby, I mean, even from, let's use the metaphor of birth, because that's what a rite of passage is. It's just a birth into adulthood. Hmm. Um, but even at birth, like traditionally in, in certain cultures, you know, a baby would, would feed from the breast of every lactating mother hmm. so that they would, one, which is fascinating, get the, I mean, I don't know if they thought about this cognizantly but like the biological diversity and and the microbiome building but also bonding they're bonding with each woman in the tribe as their mother not Mm -hmm. seeing one person as a mother in fact some argue that the agricultural revolution in many ways fomented the 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 sort of fertile grounds for the patriarchy because prior to that actually um the sacred feminine was was celebrated in many regards and and you know the the i mean i could go off on this but basically that there there was a context in which from birth and then when one entered into adolescence you know in the amazon for example you know if a boy was seen sort of flirting in the water with a girl who was post pubes you know post pubescent and that had very real consequences right like if they go off into the woods that could lead to both of them as still still really children you know becoming parents um the man that the elder of the tribe would be like come with me and then they would oftentimes go through a, an arduous uh journey you know in, in that particular tribe they use fire ants and it's like pro, you know pain and being reborn but within the context of a container it's not just like hey you know i'm going to do this thoughtlessly all of these are immaculately constructed rituals for a boy to say okay it's time your 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 days as a boy are done you know are you are now stepping into being a man and here's here's both the challenge and the responsibility that goes with that manhood Hmm. unfortunately what we see today including in my personal view at the highest levels of leadership is the personification of what i would call the armchair tyrant which for those listening if you want to two great resources um Way of a Superior Man by David Data, but like uh, King Warrior Magician Lover, which talks about the the archetypes um, of the mature masculine. Phenomenal book. But in in one in one aspect, you see if if a, if a boy is never moved beyond adolescence, you see perma adolescence, which we see quite frequently all around us. And mm-hmm. 
in many ways, the unindividuated or shadow side of the masculine. And so that manifests itself as the armchair tyrant, which I think we're seeing in some ways at the highest level of leadership, where it's more about the ego, narcissistic, you know, like me, 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 as opposed to the how am I, because that's what a traditional warrior was. A warrior wasn't this like I go off and kill people, you know, like video game version of a warrior. The warrior was someone who was willing to sacrifice their own life for the benefit of something bigger than themselves, hmm. period. Like, I am willing to, and that's why, interestingly enough, a woman, even if, if if I am, for example, as a virtue or value, a pacifist, that said, if someone, like, try to take out my family, like, my pacifism's gonna, get, gonna, gonna go down the tubes real quick because, you know, like, I'll be in defense of my family. But, you know, a woman, you know, and this talked about in David Data, this may be con- kind of controversial, but, you know, a woman, for example, if you as uh, if if you as her partner has to go off to war to protect the, the village or the tribe, of course she would rather that you stay with her and stay out of harm's way. But in many ways, she would respect you. It would it, it, she would not respect you if you chose to absolve yourself of that warrior aspect, right? Yeah. Like a man to be truly in in your manhood is to be truly in your purpose, and to attract in your life is to be a man in your purpose. Yeah. And a process of individuation enables you to go through the trials and tribulations. To go back to the mountain metaphor, to climb the mountain, such that you stand on it not as a boy but as a man hmm. and to be surrounded in a tribe of brothers such that you are accountable to what that means. Hmm. I've heard, uh, I don't know who, I bet, you know, uh, it might be various different, different, uh, tribes or, um, people going to battle. If you were to retreat and come back to the tribe or the colony or what have you, hmm. then that would be far worse than dying in battle. Oh Yeah. So That's still even, I think, uh, implemented in many military practices. Like yeah. if you, if you desert, like it's oftentimes it's it's I think treated fatally in many in many militaries. Mm. But 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 actually, a fate worse than dying is shame in a right, culture exactly. where you're truly in, individuated as a collective, right? Where it's not oh all about me show. It's actually how do I serve this collective in the greatest way. And honor and respect come from your contribution and your contribution to the collective, mm-hmm. not from you being like a badass for yourself. Yeah. And those are all the same systems that we're operating on now. It's just now we're, you know, sitting in cubicles, looking at computers and getting <laughs> yeah. coffee and whatnot. But it's the, the, <laughs> yeah. same, the same basic principles yeah. as what people will respect and raise up within that yeah. office structure or that... You know, whatever the team structure that you inhabit yourself in. Exactly. All those same basic principles are are happening. Well, the tribal hardwiring exists to, to this day. Yeah. I mean, like the same, and this kind of brings us full circle. I mean, the that that's the thing, right? We are as humans wired in a certain way. Just yeah. like you talk about with physical alignment and, you know, mental and emotional alignment practices. You know, we're still, we still have the same ancient wiring. You know, we've evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. And to think that, like, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, in the last hundred years, we're now, like, biologically, like, all of a sudden a wholly, totally different thing. It's just yeah. not the case. And so I think when you have these social cultural structures that have, that have evolved and in which we have existed and in which our human programs, you know, our iOS, our operating systems exist, 
you know, t whether it be in the context of the Amazon rainforest or in a cubicle in New York City, there's still an innate humanity. And there's still exactly like there's still code, if you will, that we are bound to and that and that people respect those who are a stand for something bigger than themselves. Hmm. And they respect those who make a stand for the team. And while we're often told a message of, you know, the individual, any individual that's been successful has had a team behind them. Yep. And it's and the leader, the true leader, will lead by acknowledging and thanking all those people. Yeah, that'd be a sustainable team as opposed to a king that's gonna be poisoned. Exactly. And that so that so that that's to me is is the context of you know, individuated leadership. And we, you and I delve deeply into that. And, um, you know, maybe you can link to it where yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about that rites of passage conversation. But, uh, you know, it's a conversation I'm, I'm profoundly fascinated by because, you know, in my own life, for example, I didn't have, it was interesting. So I got jumped by a gang, very long story short, um, on my first experience alone and abroad. And what that manifested in is I started to create what they call obsessive compulsive rituals, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would wash my hands, right? Yeah, I would yeah, check right. the locks. Sean Corn had the same thing. Yeah. Hers was, was rape, but, yeah. but we talked about it in the podcast. Massive trauma, yeah. right? Around, yeah. she, she was raped at six and then at seven developed this extreme OCD. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, well, they, they, people just thought it was, you know, they didn't see the connection, which is really fascinating. She's well, trying to maintain some degree of control anywhere that you can because of a sensation of a lack of control. Exactly. Exactly. And my sympathies to her. And for me, it manifested as, yeah, I was basically, I was assuaging or trying to reduce my anxiety in a world that all of a sudden occurred to me as extremely unsafe. Yeah. Now, the way that I pursued that, because I didn't have a culture, what, what I, you know, I was told, take this, you know, take Prozac and, you know, blah, 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 don't think about it. What I realized, and that's what led me to Sri Lanka, was actually it's in cultures where ritual exists. I just I I was ritualizing my behavior to bring about a sense of safety. Right. I just didn't have a culture, a brotherhood, a tribe in which there was already a pre-existing uh, social religious traffic that I was a part of because I just this just how I grew up. So it took me going to Sri Lanka, which interestingly enough is also how you quote-unquote cure OCD is through exposure therapy. You basically delve as deeply into your fear as possible. And so mm. for me, my great fear was going alone abroad. I was like, okay, I grew up in Chicago. Sri Lanka is on the exact opposite side of the world. I'm going to go as far into my fear and to a country at civil war on the other side of the world mm. where I have no frame of reference and I stand out like a sore thumb and I'm going to live for two years, you know? And, and it cured me. I mean, it cured me of that. I mean, there's a lot of things that went into that, which I won't go into here, but I'm no longer obsessive compulsive in any way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. and and I and I in part that's because I had my own process of individuation in doing that. I faced my fear. I confronted my shadow. Uh, I'm of course still confronting it today, but in doing so at that particularly pivotal point in life, I I marked a process of individuation. Mm -hmm. I marked a, a move beyond worrying as this kind of a scared boy, what it might be like to get jumped in a world that's uncertain into, okay, as a man, I'm going to stand as someone who is willing to confront fear and, 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 and confront it head on. It's almost like fears are doorways towards enlightenment in a sense. And I'm using that word hmm. loosely. I think oftentimes almost always for me, when I say enlightenment, I'm almost always like making fun because I'm like, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but I actually mean it. Like, I yeah. think like if you truly confront in this human form, everything that seems like a fear yeah and eventually they're they're all gone there's no more darkness you're afraid of the dark yeah 
You know, it's just like, okay, well, behind all of that darkness is light. Yeah. I've jumped into every dragon mouth. Yeah. You know, and like down its throat, there's a bunch of love. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you, so it's almost like we have like this guide, this guide map compass of like, okay, are you scared of that? Perfect. Please walk right in. Yes. You know, and then there's also probably something to like, maybe, you know, don't jump out of the airplane without a parachute. Yeah. hundred percent. No, I think you're, I think you're spot on, man. I think if, if one pursues their life as an inquiry and a curiosity, because the people, the oldest people I've been. I've I've met that I that I think I still have that jeu de vivre that joy for life yeah. are always the curious ones totally and I think being curious about your fears is a profound path to self realization mm. uh, I think I think you're spot on in that regard and in the moments where I think I have confronted my fears um, in a curious way those have often led to the greatest gold uh, beyond the dragon so to speak yeah. and when I'm when I continue to stay in my shit about my fears or like or bypass them to bring it full circle you know through behaviors or whatever things that uh that mask that that's a fear you know which i think many of us do you're playing peekaboo yeah you're like it's there it's gone it's there (laughs) yeah exactly i see you not so much (laughs) exactly um but 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 it loses its it loses its numinosity it loses its its it loses its pull on you like it's no longer it's no longer a weight so i think the more you can use the confrontation of fear itself as an anchor uh the 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 more the lighter you become Mm. that's great man this yeah. is a really helpful conversation. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, where should people go from here? Um, uh, for anyone who's interested, um, you know, you can check me out. I, like you, I have a, a show, Peak Mind, uh, with Michael Trainer. You're going to be on it in, mm-hmm. the, in the very near future. And we, I'm also going to put up a conversation you and I had to sort of off the books. So we'll co- that will go co-release, on. co-release this episode. So whenever you put yours out, I'll put this out. Yeah. So, so check it out. Peak out, Peak Mind with Michael Trainer. Also, just add Michael Trainer on the social medias. Um, and. Uh, you know, Google Michael Trainer for all the things. Peakmind.org for the website. So I do do um, events, and um, you can also check out Global Citizen. But yeah, man, just uh, just so grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the work you're putting out in the world, and uh, grateful for the audience for listening. And uh, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to sit down. I think and talk about the, the stuff that really matters. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, man. I love that. I'm going to be chewing on this conversation for a while, so hopefully people do the same. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Over now. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I wanted to read a review on the iTunes left by one of you kind, beautiful people. Uh, By you leaving reviews on your cell phones, very simple, very fast. It uh, tells the algorithmic gods of iTunes or Google or whatever uh, that people are listening to this and enjoying it and it shares it. So if you like this conversation, uh, a helpful thing would be to leave a review and share it on Instagram. Tell people a a takeaway tip that you got and tag me at Align Podcast cast and Mr. Michael Trainer in there. Uh, anyway, so here we go. This review comes from the, what is it called? There and Dylan. The Rand Dylan? The Rand Dylan, maybe? I'm not sure. Anyways, uh, thank you, The Rand Dylan, if that's what it is. There and Dylan, whatever. Uh, Aaron is Peter Pan with a PhD. That's nice. I don't actually have a PhD. Uh, he has many guests you may have heard before, but not like you've heard them before. Maybe it's the forced ice baths and recording the sauna that allows them to open up and dig deeper into their personal experiences and knowledge. Maybe it's his playful, relaxed nature. All of the above and more. And he goes on. I really appreciate uh, that 
and uh, it's very kind. It's I, I really enjoy reading these guys. Um, thank you guys so much for checking out the online program, the Align Method online program. Uh, this is the addendum to the book, the Align Method book, which can be found anywhere in stores or Amazon or anywhere. And uh, it is if you have any type of aches, pains, stiffness, rigidity, uh, general like kind of feeling foggy or low energy in your body, you're not loving forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, kind of collapsed spinal patterns. Uh, the Align Method online program gets into that and more, including lifestyle stuff, morning routines, nighttime routines, and you can start it for free if you do continue you get the align band which is a heavy duty resistance band the door anchor and a little online program to go with it and um it's a six-week program the first week is free i hope you guys enjoy that it's at alignpodcast.com or you can find it at instagram um, in my bio under align podcast so thank you guys so much for tuning in uh if you enjoyed this conversation you may also enjoy the conversation with aubrey marcus or kyle kingsbury would be a great place to go or maybe gabor mate be great option as well those would be good options all right thanks guys uh we'll see you on thursday